It is 5pm. Good evening, good afternoon. How are you doing this Wednesday? It's your BBG, Richie Allen. Who else would you expect to hear from at this time? With you till 7 o'clock tonight with two very, very interesting guests. Join in via the website Life Comment or leave a message for me via, or do it via the app, the new app for the Richie Allen Show. Get it at the App Store or at Google Play. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, a couple of months ago we met a, a terrifically interesting woman called Sarah Habubi. She's back on the programme a little bit later on this evening. I can't wait to reconnect with her. We'll be talking about thinklocal.ie. It's an apolitical grassroots movement which is dedicated to building resilient, self-sustaining communities, fresh thinking. They're all about fresh thinking in areas like food, energy and finance. They are not funded by or affiliated with any organisation. Can't wait to reconnect with Sarah. Before that, I'll be joined by Ben Gilroy. Ben, terrifically interesting guy himself, has worn many hats in recent years. Politician, human rights activist, free speech advocate, and he has campaigned against mortgage fraud and wrongful eviction. Top man Ben Gilroy, he'll join the programme to talk about Ireland's new imminent hate speech law. That is the Richie Allen Show for Tuesday. When? when, when, when Wednesday. That would be the 17th of May 2023. Had to check the calendar there, but it is Wednesday. And I just want to do something very quickly. Done. Done, 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 done. Good, good. Good, good. So you're all right, Jar. You're good. You're fair to middling. You don't care one way or the other. Did I or somebody who sounds remarkably like me... Did I not say last night on uh, Tuesday's programme that the foot soldiers of the Great Reset, whoever they are, we know who they are, that they would put all of their eggs in the climate scam basket from now on? I think I said that. That they would use the climate agenda and that they would expedite that to usher in central bank digital currencies, 15-minute cities, carbon credits for people like you and me and the social credit system to punish us when we step out of line. Well, less than 24 hours later and this from the BBC News at 1. I hate to be right, you know. Hello, I'm Sarah Campbell, and we start with new figures which suggest global temperatures are likely to surge to record levels in the next five years. The World Meteorological Organization says there is a 66% chance that we will break the 1.5 degree temperature threshold. Very interesting number that. There is a 66% chance that we'll break the temperature threshold of 1.5 degrees. For at least a year. There is a 98% chance of the warmest year on record before 2027. Arctic heating will likely be three times higher than the global average. And the reason for these worrying predictions are temperatures being driven up by ongoing carbon emissions, plus the likely onset of a naturally occurring El Nino event, 
which can trigger more extreme weather and climate events, including severe rainfall and drought, depending on the region. Well, which is more responsible? Is it the naturally occurring El Nino event or is it rising CO2 emissions? Which one is more responsible for this this rush to 1.5 degrees we're going to see in recent, uh, sorry, in the next two to three or four years? Does she ask that? Laurie Goering is the climate change editor at the Thomson Reuters Foundation. And the I- Thomson Reuters Foundation. Laurie Goering. She's the woman she brings on. Laurie Goering to bring on to explain this, what's happening. I asked her to explain the significance of these figures. I think the real message from this is that these climate change impacts are coming much faster than scientists had predicted. Uh, Scientists are inherently conservative and and what we're seeing is that a lot of different things from heat to sea level rise are probably going to happen a lot faster than we had imagined. Um, We we had predicted initially that that, uh, 1.5 would be breached sometime in the 2030s, and we're now saying that this could happen really very soon. It's going to happen very soon. Of course, a a real presenter, a real journalist would interject and say, Laura, can you put some meat on the bones of this story? What's the proof? What models have you used? Where is the data, Laura? But the BBC woman... And why is that? ...is useless. That is because we're continuing to use coal, oil and gas and release those emissions which are driving climate change. Um, it's, a, it's a problem globally because we now have renewable sources of energy that are actually cheaper in most of the world that we could be switching to, but there are a lot of barriers in the way of that happening. Liar! They're not cheaper. She's referring to things like heat pumps for homes instead of gas central heating. Not cheaper at all. Liar, liar, pants on fire. An outlay of ten to twelve to fourteen thousand pounds at least per household to make your homes cooler, not warmer in the winter. Liar. Uh, including political ones and and you know a, a tradition of things like fossil fuel subsidies. Um, and in terms of the sort of real time um, results of this, what does it actually mean? Well, this is going to have big implications for things that we all care about a lot, from food prices to migration. Um, One of the problems is that they've predicted if we go past 1.5C for any length of time, we may see these global tipping points. Tipping points? That's things like the the total melting of the Greenland ice sheet being set in motion. The total melting of the Greenland ice sheet being set in motion? That means seven metres of sea level rise around... (laughs) No, it doesn't. Uh, another tripping point is the melting of the... A tripping point now. The West Antarctic ice sheet, which over time could raise sea levels. And could, could. So the West Antarctica ice shield could melt, raising sea levels by... Another 3 and 3.3 metres. 3.3 metres, very precise. I believe. So we're talking about, you know, serious problems um, globally because we have a lot of cities on coastlines that would be affected by sea level rise and, and here in the UK, and an island that has a lot of coastline. They always laugh when they are lying through their sphincters, listen. We're talking about, you know, serious problems um, globally because we have a lot of cities on coastlines that would be affected by sea level rise and, and here in the UK. And, <laughs> and here in the UK, because <laughs> it's funny, you know, a seven metre sea level rise which which could wash out coastal towns all around the UK. That's funny as feck, isn't it? Does the BBC woman say, is there any proof of this? Have you any genuine proof, like real data, 
real world data to back up this claim that um, you've gotten us out of bed today without any warning and you've said, Jesus Christ, it's happening much quicker than we thought. We're going to see temperatures above the 1.5 degree Celsius rise far sooner than we thought and we're going to have to do something about it. Have you given us, have you provided any proof to back this up? No. What does the BBC woman say next? Um, and, and sort of, you were saying about timescales that this temperature you think has happened more quickly than we might have predicted. So presumably these potentially catastrophic results <laughs> is the, the timescale quickening on that as well. As useless as tits on a bull. That's the BBC. Don't ask any real questions. So presumably these catastrophic events are going to happen sooner, presumably. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I think that the predictions for things like sea level rise are still very, very concerning. Conservative, but we're, what we're seeing how conservative she thinks it's going to be worse than seven meters here and three meters there happening in the real world is is much faster than that so we may need to advance a lot not only um, our efforts to to quickly cut emissions so this doesn't get any worse but so we might need to advance even more quickly our efforts to make sure this doesn't get any worse so we've got to advance our reduction in co2 emissions but also to also what adapt to some of what's coming and make plans for a, a, a quite changed world that, that may be coming up. Yeah, change your behaviours, dear listener. We might need to see a much rapid, a much more rapid change in your behaviour. You know, th these, are, these are serious problems like losses of more and more crops around the world if we see temperature extremes, because in many places they won't do as well. Uh, if we see extreme weather, you know, which is already causing huge problems, everywhere that's likely to get worse and and heat waves likely and heat waves in themselves are a huge risk that's under recognized and a, a real threat to human health yeah a real threat to human health heat waves are great actually they don't last very long all you got to do really is stay out of the sun from noon till about five Drink loads of fluids, not alcohol now, not alcohol. They don't last long. And God knows we need the vitamin D3, don't we? It's nice to get it naturally and not through supplements, isn't it? Supplements are good too, of course. So what's going on, dear listener? Well, they're ramping it up. I said it last night and by coincidence, they're doing it today. This is it now. The gloves are off. We need to go even faster in reducing our CO2 emissions. I mean, we need to go even faster still in changing our behaviours. We're in the crosshairs. People, whoever came up with that, um, whoever came up with that phrase, we are the CO2 they want to rid the planet of. They are absolutely bang on the money. Uh, just to give you the headlines of that again, they are claiming, these clowns, that the overheating world, which it isn't overheating, it's likely to break a key temperature limit for the first time over the next few years. Researchers say there is now a 66% chance we will pass the 1.5 degree Celsius global warming threshold between now and 2027. It's very worrying, say scientists. We need to move faster to reduce emissions and we need to move faster in changing human behaviours. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, when will people wake up to it? When will they wake up to it? Dear listener, tell me. Send me a message. But send one or two. Don't send me ten or twelve. One or two. Make them qual quality, not quantity. These are mad times, aren't they? It's uh, 11 and a half minutes past the hour. Don't forget Sarah Hububi will be on with me. Ben Gilroy will be on with me. Now you may, if you're like me and you read the papers for your sins, 
have learned that two poultry workers... What's a poultry worker? That's a very broad term, isn't it? I'm sure there are lots of different things you can do in a chicken factory or a chicken farm or a hen farm or a turkey farm, Bernard Matthews. Beautiful, beautiful, I tells you. So two poultry workers in England tested positive for bird flu, although there are no signs of human-to-human transmission. This is according to the deliciously dystopian UK Health and Security Agency. Both people were known to have recently worked on an infected poultry farm, and they have since tested negative. Ah, we can breathe easy. Neither worker experienced any symptoms of avian influenza, with both cases found during screening. The risk to the general population remains very low, says the UK Health Security Agency. This is just fear-mongering bollocks. Or is it? Well, Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk TV spoke with Chris Smith. You will often hear Chris Smith on BBC Radio. He's pretty much their their resident virologist. But today he branched out, spoke to Julia Hartley Brewer. What's going on, Chris Smith, then? Well, this is probably the biggest outbreak of bird flu that the world has ever seen. Not, not amongst the humans, but amongst the bird population, obviously. And it's been going on, flying under the radar for a couple of years. No pun intended. It's largely been eclipsed by our worries about COVID. It didn't get the airtime that otherwise it, it would have deserved. More than a billion birds around the world are thought to have died or been culled because of this new emerging spreading strain of flu. They've uh, culled a billion birds for no reason whatsoever. Now, is that a big threat? Well, any kind of emerging disease is a big threat because it could jump the species barrier. Could jump the species barrier now. The flu that we catch is originally an infection of birds. And at some point back in history, once the human population became big enough, it jumped the species barrier, probably as we domesticated birds, and it began to cause infections in humans. And ultimately, we developed our forms of flu that we pass around. And periodically, it jumps back out of birds and into us again, causing new pandemics. So this is really just history repeating itself. And and we think that periodically you do get these incursions of bird viruses into people. And whenever the virus jumps the species barrier, it has an opportunity to... Julia Hartley Brewer has fallen asleep and has been, re- has been roused, roused from her slumber by her producer. Wake up, Julia. ...to evolve further to become... Because I fell asleep there, to be honest. ...better at spreading in people. Jesus. There's no evidence at this stage that doing that. This Shut has up. always happened. It will continue to happen. This isn't a new thing. You know, it comes out of Chinese wet markets or a Wuhan lab. Um... But this, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. But I suppose we're really only, most of us, only really aware of it um, when we find that you, you can't buy you know, free-range eggs anymore because all of our chickens had to be kept indoors because of avian flu. We know there was that big fear of a shortage of turkeys at Christmas and the like. Um, but, Which never came to pass. But, I mean, we're, we're told this actually has... This is actually. A, you know, Wait for this. It's got a high mortality rate in humans, this bird flu. Wait till you hear this horse manure. You know, a, a very dangerous disease for human beings. Um, these two um, poultry workers, um, they are. They <laughs> thought they might breathe in contaminated material, faeces, or, or contact with a... They breathe it in chicken shit, basically. A dead bird that has, uh, has the flu. They had no symptoms. They were not ill at all. But I've read some stats about this having something like a 50% death rate in humans, this disease. Is that true? <laughs> a 50% death rate in humans. And this is, again, fear-mongering shit. What they're doing is planting seeds in people's minds, you see. Because people are going about their daily business 
when they're listening to the radio and they're picking up little bits. You're almost in a kind of a hypnotic state in the mornings, aren't you? Morning radio is very important. You're out and about, you're doing your business, you're getting the children to school, you're going to work, you're thinking about 10 different things. And when you're in that state, you're more suggestible. At least I believe it. I've not done any research on this. I am not a scientist, so discard that. Just throw that bollocks out the window. Richie is on it again. He's on one again. If you like, right? But it's just an opinion. It's just a theory of mine. You're more suggestible. So when they start throwing out phrases like 50% mortality, this gets into people's minds. Makes them uneasy. Anyway, what does he say? Does it have a 50% mortality rate if it gets into humans? Meaning that one in every two humans who contracted bird flu would die? Bird flu, H5N1, when it infects a person, can have a mortality rate as high as 70%. (laughs) What? What? Bird flu, H5N1, when it infects a person can have a mortality rate as high as 70%. Uh, Jesus Christ, Julia, you know, have some pride and challenge it. Just challenge it, just for once and say, give over, man. You know, people have been exposed to avian flu forever. Some people have contracted avian flu. It doesn't kill 70% of those infected. Show us the proof there, Christopher. Go on, Julia, just do your job for once. You know, I kind of like you. You're the thinking man's bit of crumpet. I'd say you'd be gas altogether with a few G&Ts on a Friday night in Piccadilly. I'd say you'd be gas crack altogether. She's got that kind of thing about her, you know, tiggy leg bork kind of a thing, you know. Bit of a messer. Do your job one time and ask them, where's the fucking proof? And some of the outbreaks we've seen, because in other countries this is going on. It's not just here. We've got outbreaks in other countries as well. We have seen mortalities as high as 70%. The thing is, this is actually quite reassuring news that this has been detected. It's reassuring news that we've detected it in people. And by the way, it has a 50% mortality rate in people. Well, obviously not, because two poultry workers got it in the UK, and both of them are fine now. I'm not a mathematician, by the way, but I do know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and 0 into 2 is 0. Yeah. 2 divided by 0 is 0, right? Right? Yeah, okay. It's 18 minutes past the hour. I failed mathematics in my leaving cert. I failed mathematics in my leaving cert. And like a thick fucker, I had to go back and repeat it again. And I got a D3. Not a vitamin D3. I got a D3. Second time round, I got the bare pass. You thick bastard, Paddy. Oh, yeah. Numerical dyslexia. When it comes to numbers, when it comes to equations, when it comes to problem solving around numbers, I have a meltdown entirely. So I do. I melt bloody well down. Ben Gilroy coming up in a few minutes time, a little bit later on. We will be joined, that's you and me, by Sarah Habubi. She was really nice when she was on the programme last time. I'm hoping she'll just be as nice this time or be just as nice, I mean. What about all that climate bollocks, eh? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, let's hope Real Madrid beat Man City tonight, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that one in there. Now, um, James O'Brien, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic. Don't panic. Um, he said something interesting today. He really did. So I thought I'd bring it to you in the interest of balance and fair play. Um, he, James O'Brien, LBC, he's a little bearded guy, bit of a David Brent type. Um, awful, really. You wonder how these guys, well, you don't wonder how these guys ascend, how they ascend to these jobs, these mid-morning jobs on national radio. You don't wonder. We know how they get there. You know, we know how they get there. He had to swallow a lot of um, David Seaman, you know. Anyway, um, James O'Brien literally, viscerally hates Suella Braverman. 
hates her. She's the Home Secretary. Um, he hates any Tory you care to name. It isn't just Braverman. O'Brien is a useful idiot. Right, so the UK media in 2023 basically parodies its US counterpart over there. They have Fox and CNN. Over here we have Talk TV, Conservative and LBC mostly, Liberal. The illusion of choice, right? So you get Mike Graham parroting the Tory line on on Talk TV. You get uh, James O'Brien paying homage to the Labour Party and Sir Keir Starmer on LBC. It's the illusion of choice. They are all actors. So this morning, Mr O'Brien entered into a rant about Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary of Colour, which is of no interest to us whatsoever. But then his rant developed into a commentary on Big Brother and how we cede power to the state in times of terror, like 9-11 and 7-7. Jimmy O'Brien! When I look at Suella Braverman in particular, I am moving now into, into sort of Doctor Who villain territory. There is almost nothing I can't imagine her doing. A lot of my views on civil liberties were framed during the aftermath of the September the 11th terror attacks. And... I think that had a much bigger influence on us than we realised at the time. I, I think that the, 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 the way that that terror attack in particular, and of course subsequent ones, including the one in London, it shook our foundations, it shook the foundations of our relationship with the state. He's only figuring this out now, James O'Brien. What, what, 2005, what, 18 years later, that these terrorist attacks or or false flag events, as, as we would call them, shake society to its foundations and change the relationship people have with the state. He's only realising this, Jimmy O'Brien. I think. I, I think. It, it changed whether we realised it or not at the time. We did. A lot of us were way ahead of you, Jimmy. It changed our relationship with security because we were terrorised. I know we get back to normal straight away and, and we are adamant that it's not going to change our way of life or, or how we live. But we were terrorised. We were. Well, some of us were. Jimmy? When I look at Suella Braverman in particular, I am moving now into, into sort of Doctor Who villain territory. There is almost nothing. All right, I'm supposed to play the next clip. Go on. That's what terrorism does. Right. That's what it says on the tin. And and part of the process of being terrorised is to be more fearful. Very good. And a perfectly logical response to being more fearful. Do you remember that scene in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail? That scene where a guy um, tries to figure out whether somebody is a witch or not and eventually weighs them against a duck or something like that. Do you remember the explanation? That's what it is like listening to James O'Brien. The monotonous, malignant mother... You know, it's terrible, right? He, God, his delivery is bad. You can talk with your outrageous Irish accent. Um, what's he getting? He's getting somewhere. Is to want more security. Yes. And a perfectly logical side effect of wanting more security is the surrender of liberty, of some liberty. Jesus. But I don't know what to think about facial recognition technology. The reason my opinions have changed, the reason, one of the main reasons I've moved from uh, nothing to hide, nothing to fear, is... Yeah, O'Brien well, used to be a staunch advocate of let's put a million CCTV cameras around London. In fact, if a million isn't enough, let's put two million. 
so that, um, you know, if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear from the cameras. He was talking about um, Suella Braverman and how he doesn't like her and how they're very right-wing, these Tories, and he's worried about them and uh, the power they, they, they might seek to have over people like us and they might use facial recognition. And he talked about terrorist attacks and how, you know, we were happy or we, we, we comforted ourselves by ceding power to the state. James O'Brien might be thick, but he must know. I mean, I don't normally deal in binary choices, but O'Brien must have heard of problem, reaction, solution, right? Countries or states or governments want more and more powers over over citizens, right? Of course, he knows this as well. States want more and more surveillance. Has it occurred to him, create a problem, like a false flag attack, like September the 11th, where thousands were killed, and the 7th of July 2005, where nearly 100 people were killed, terrorised people, as James O'Brien said, and then offered them the solution, like the United States Patriot Act. Are you terrorised? You are by these sleeper cells of terrorists lurking in your cities. You are. Of course, these are figments of the imagination of the CIA and MI5. All bullshit, really. Are you terrified by that attack? Yes, well, we'll protect you. Just give up a bit of your freedom. It must have occurred to somebody like James O'Brien. He can't be that thick, surely. Or maybe he is. Don't call him surely. This is the Richie Allen Radio Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers in Salford. I'm Richie Allen, and this is Eddie Van Halen. And joining me live from Dublin, maybe not Dublin, maybe Meath, I think Meath, Ben Gilroy, in a few minutes' time. Good to be with you. Van Halen on the Richie Allen Show, song called Why Can't This Be Loved, from an album called OU812. Uh, Ben Gilroy said hello to me there on WhatsApp. That's lovely. That is lovely hurling, as they say in Connemara. Before we welcome Ben back to the programme, lovely message from Stevie Riley. Hi, Stevie. Richie, um, loving the show. It's kind of you to say that, Stevie. He says, like um, a lot of people, I found you during the COVID nonsense. I was a construction site manager, but walked away from that well-paid career when I was expected to enforce mask wearing and take temperature checks. I could tell there would be pressure to take the poison. When will the multitude wake up to these agendas and the other agendas in play? It gets me down sometimes, pal, says Stevie. Stevie, it gets me down as well, buddy. Just keep on trucking. Keep on going, mate. Because um, I do believe there are better days ahead. I'm convinced of it, in fact. I am. I, I know I change my mind as often as I change my undercrackers, but I'm convinced of it that there are better times ahead for you and for me. So there's just a wee problem with uh, Ben at the moment. Let me see what's going on there. Um, all good my end. Let's see, can we, uh, can, we, can we dial him up? In fact, I'm going to ask him to call me. Sometimes that works. You know when you use these online WhatsApp thingamajigs and what have you? Sometimes you call somebody and you can't connect and then you ask them to call you and it works out. So we'll, uh, we'll get Ben on. As I said at the beginning of the programme, he's worn many hats over the years. I first met him a decade or more ago in London when, um, when, when Ben 
was advocating on behalf of, was was acting for, and standing up for the rights of people who were being wrongfully evicted from their homes. Mortgage fraud, he was all over that in Ireland, and vulture funds, and the terrible things being done to Irish people, um, who were in very, you know, small mortgage arrears. The, the predatory behaviour of the Irish banks and the Irish political class. I've always liked him, like I said, he's worn many hats, politician, human rights activist, free speech act, advocate as well. Let's welcome back to the programme our friend Ben Gilroy. Ben, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. Good to hear from you. You're a gent. Thanks for coming on. It's been ages. Um, first of all, how are you? You're very popular this side of the the, the Irish Sea. I don't know whether you know that, but you're well known over I here. Didn't, uh, yeah. I, I have a good few friends, all right, mostly around the Liverpool area who, who, who watch a lot of my stuff and that. But I do get... Uh, Several messages, obviously, all over the UK and in a lot of the Commonwealth countries as well, yeah. Oh, you do? I'm, I'm in Salford and obviously there are lots of Irish surnames around here and I take the dogs to the local park and sometimes somebody will run up to me, not often enough, because I'm not famous yeah. kind of a thing, but sometimes somebody will run up to me and somebody said to me the other day, Richard, I'm surprised now you're talking about the free speech thing now and you haven't invited Ben Gilroy. And I thought, Jesus, that's absolutely <laughs> spot on. Familiarity sometimes breeds content. I know you're there. I yes, know what you're doing, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's right. Tell, tell uh, me not this. Not content. Not content, but content. <laughs> Before we talk about that ridiculous and dystopian law in Ireland, let me ask you this, and yeah. I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate, right? Is there such of a course. thing as the far right in our country? Um, there's there's a group of people um, that are are... Uh, called the far right, but are not far right. I mean, it's it's a tag that people use against them. Um, so uh, in in the way you mean, Richie, no, there is no far right in Ireland. There are no um, NIMBYs. No, I heard one yeah. group talking about uh, Una McGurk. Una McGurk was uh, on the um, iPad, it was called. And it was the immigration board about whether people were genuine refugees or not. And she was a she is a barrister, a practicing barrister. And she she was accused of speaking at a white supremacist rally in Dublin. Now, Richie, I'm living in Ireland all my life. And I can honestly say I don't know any white supremacists in Ireland. <laughs> no, I well, and, I used and, to go looking for them years ago when I was a, yeah, an old yeah. lefty. I couldn't find them. Of course, even if you could find one, just to interview them and see what their views are, yeah. you know, it'd be it'd be nice. But to think that you could have seven thousand uh, white supremacists at a rally, so they throw out these names because um, these are the far left that normally um, use these phrases, and because their point of view is not a very strong point of view to have in any public debate or public argument, they normally then reduce to. Um, name calling and you know I don't know many times I've been called a Nazi and far right and stuff like that and it's complete and utter nonsense you know um, but look it is what it is I think everybody now knows um, what they mean when they say far right they mean people that aren't far wrong Yeah and this is being thrown at people like I've been covering the story coming out of Inch uh, the village of Inch or the town of Inch in County Clare where people 
and I heard some of these people speaking on Morning Ireland. They sounded lovely and very reasonable. You know, they said, look, you've brought 34 migrants over here. It's about an eight kilometre drive to Ennis in Clare. You've got to go five kilometres on a road without a foot footpath. There's nothing here for people. You've not asked us whether we, you know, whether we are happy with this situation or not. And these are genuine questions. But to a man and woman... The Irish media then rounds on these people and says they're little Irelanders, little, you, you know, right-wingers. Yeah, narrow-minded people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's it's horrible, really. Is it, it losing... Is because Go not on. only that, Ireland, Ireland was always a very welcoming country. The difficulty is that, you know, even at the start of this war, for want of a better word, in Ukraine, um, the Irish people were willing to take in Ukrainian families and all that were genuinely, they felt, were on the run from a, a terrible war. The problem is, is when there's busloads of men coming into the country that are not Ukrainian under the guise that they're Ukrainian. Now, there's a couple of issues with that. First of all, there has been many attacks on women by these men. And also, uh, there's reports of them Tear, and this is government bodies saying this, that they're tearing up documents before they arrive here. Yeah. So what are they trying to hide and where are they actually coming from? There's no truth or openness, and, uh, openness about this. And if there was truth and openness, I don't think there'd be that much fear. But this is a problem created by the government themselves because they're not open and transparent about this. So if these men are fleeing Ukraine, there's a couple of questions, obviously, that people would have to consider. And one is, if you're under, I think, the age of 55, it's a criminal offence to leave Ukraine and not to fight for your country. So I thought we were all on the side of the Ukrainians and the Russians were the bad people. So why are we harbouring fugitives running from a war when they should be fighting for their, for their families and for their country against a very big oppressive Russian, if that's the way we're supposed to see it? And that's a legitimate Second question. Is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, then. And then, yeah, second to that, Richie, is are these the type of men then that flee war and leave their mothers, sisters and wives and children to fight the war? Because they're running and leaving their family. I mean, I, I can't make sense of it at all. So obviously we're not being told the truth. There is a concern of who these people really are and what they are up to. And I've seen some video footage um, from these men even arriving where they run their finger across their neck, threatening Irish people and all. Um, I seen other videos where they were shouting in a foreign language, fucker Lande, fucker Lande, in videos while in Dublin. Yeah, and yeah, they're I supposed to be here for protection from the Irish, uh, the Irish people are supposed to be protecting them from someone else. Something just doesn't sit right with all of this, Richie. It's a br and brilliant question. If, yeah. if there is genuine men, if there is genuine men and they're running from something, they're being done, they're being done a great disservice by the Irish government as well, because nobody has been truthful and honest about this. And I think there's more going on, which is why the government won't be truthful. No one has a problem. If I see a man coming here with uh, his wife and children and genuine uh, seeking asylum or is a genuine refugee, nobody has an issue with that. Well said. And um, that's been our 
mantra as 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 a nation for for years and years if you're a genuine case but on this ben gilroy is our guest by the way folks philip dewire now i don't know much about philip right he he pops up in my twitter feed from time to time so i don't know what sort of character he is as a person but i take everybody at face value now he's a citizen journalist philip and he goes around the country covering this and he did manage to get down to inch and and a gentleman came up to him one of these migrants and he said to him that he was algerian which is really fascinating. And before the citizen journalist, Philip Dwyer, could ask him any more questions, and he, he, he's got a very polite approach, this Philip Dwyer. So he was saying, oh, you're from Algeria. Well, then some of these NGO groups pulled the Algerian guy away before Philip could find out any more. Now, as far as I know, Algeria is not the worst place to be in the world at the moment. So I'm guessing that the Algerian guy, and I don't blame him for this, I would do it myself, he might be over here for economic reasons. He might be thinking life is better in Ireland, so I'll just pop on over to Ireland and I'll see how I get on. Um, But again, there's dishonesty and disingenuousness from the Irish government. I mean, Algerians don't need to be in Ireland to get away from anything. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, people might say, well, the Irish travelled all over the world to make a better life better uh, for themselves too. And when we say yes, that's absolutely true. But they were honest when they arrived and they were hardworking people. Yeah. And they they were there to build a better life for themselves and embrace the culture of where they landed. Um, and, and so you see that in America where, you know, there's huge parts of, Uh, the Irish vote even in America that's very important to the presidents of the United States, which is why they come here, because they're a respected community, no matter what country they've landed in, because they're known as hardworking people and not troublemakers. You know, I I don't mean drinking at a pub and maybe the odd fight breaks out, (laughs) but you know what I mean? I mean, like, uh, you know, going against the state or something like that, offences against the state or out to, to do other damage, you know? Ben, tell me this. This is hugely important, right? These things are going on in other countries, but it seems to be happening a little bit quicker in Ireland. Like Ireland is some sort of, um, I don't know, petri dish for these uh, agendas yeah. that we've talked about over the years. I don't believe mm-hmm. that Micheál Martin, the Tornish, or Leo Varadkar, the, the Taoiseach, I don't believe they're intelligent enough to be dreaming up legislation like this absolutely dystopian hate speech bill which might see somebody like you arrested charged and later jailed because of something you were reading on your laptop something that was deemed to be harmful to somebody else let's talk about that law and the implications of it and then I'm at a loss as to where do they get these ideas? Is it think tanks that come up with them? Is it um, NGOs whispering in their ear? But let's talk about the law first. It's, um, well, it's shocking, isn't it, really? I can't find another adjective to describe it. It's a terrible thing. It is. It's actually so bad. Um, Tracy Mahoney referred to Section 11, and I think she's quite correct. In Section 11, there's just one small paragraph, and it's entitled Protection of Freedom of Expression. And what it says is, for the purpose of this part, any material or behavior is not taken to incite violence or hatred against a person or group of persons or on account of their protected characteristics or of any characteristics solely on the basis that the material or behavior includes or involves discussion or criticism of matters relating to that protected characteristic. So that's the one paragraph. And I think Tracy Mann is quite correct. He said that was more or less put in so that it would survive any constitutionality, 
uh, constitutionality attack in the courts against the act itself. So in, I think this whole act is very ambiguous. Um, it's hard to know what it actually means. Um, some parts of it are very clear. So if you have information that can be deemed hatred against a particular group, that the guardie can get a warrant, come into your house, seize all your equipment, your laptops, documents, storage device. And then if you happen to have a relative or a friend that happens to be in the house at the time of the Garda raid, they can take his laptop, his phone and everything else as well. So the powers are very sweeping. And yet it seems to me a very ambiguous um, because what they say is, if it's if the uh, uh, material or you behave in a public place in a manner that is likely to incite violence or hatred against one of these people or part of the group. So like uh, behaves in a manner that is likely. I mean, that's that's very open to sort of interpretation. What do you mean? Yeah. Interpretation. Does that mean protesting against illegal immigrants? Could that be, you know, uh, behaving in a public manner? Do you know the journalist John Might Waters? The, the journalist John yeah. Waters said that this is, it's he believes it's deliberately ambiguous language designed in a way that nobody can make head or tail of it. That That's you, right. You're never, it yeah. seems so vague that that a court or the Guardian, if they were uh, targeting a particular person, that, that they could, it's a catch-all. Well, it must mean that about you, Ben Gilroy, because you said something as a protest, and that could be deemed to be an incitement to hatred against one of these groups. And then the group's definition is so wide that it actually means me and you as well, Richie. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know. Um, no, no. Yeah, I'll show you now. So in the characteristics of the groups, they've added um, they've added a couple of new ones from the old incitement to hatred. So the newer ones, when I see, um, the newer ones are gender, disability, uh, dissent, and sex characteristics. They were not included in the Incitement to Hatred Act of 1989. Um, but what is in it is race. Now, I don't know what they mean by race, because race is actually not defined. Religion is defined. Dissent is defined. And reference to national or ethnic origin also includes a member of the traveling community. That's defined. Gender is defined as meaning the gender of a person or one to which they identify, uh, meaning male or female or other that are not male or female. So that's all of that transgender sort of whatever belief you have on that. Yeah. But then it includes race. That's not defined. Color. Colour is not defined. So you're a white man and I'm a white man. So I guess we're part of the protected group if we're under colour. Um, nationality. I assume everybody has a nationality. And then religion is deemed as somebody who has a religion or then uh, does not have a religion. So that's everybody. Um, so it's hard to see who's not included in this group. Is it basically and saying, can I, can, I, can, I, can I venture a guess yeah. at this? Is the law, even though it's almost impossible to understand because it's so vague as you've just brilliantly outlined, but is it saying basically that, yeah. if we boil it down to a couple of quick sentences, that offending anybody might result in you basically being nicked? 
because everybody is protected. No, it definitely includes everybody. Yeah. I mean, because even even on on the one on the sexual orientation, it says that's described in Section Two of the Equal Status Act 2000, and that's described as means heterosexual, homosexual, or bisexual. So um, I know there's a whole load of new sexuals, pansexual and all these things I heard. I don't I have no idea what they are, but but they're not included in the act then. So so, so the act seems so vague yeah. that it's such a catch all. I really think what this act is about is to frighten the bejesus out of everybody, that you will now have loads of people that will not turn up for a protest, will not be out complaining about anyone will not be saying anything about anyone. And I'm only surprised it didn't include politicians in that because it looks like you're not to say anything against politicians either, especially if they're part of one of those groups, which really is a catch-all. So this is so so ambiguous that uh, it will, I think the whole idea of this was to frighten people into saying anything about anyone. Right, so you're so, going after protests, basically. So the yeah, government the government a, has agendas, right? These are terrible dystopian agendas. We've talked about them for years. They're going to implement these agendas. You know, they're, they're going to say that we're in a climate catastrophe, which I don't think we are, but I'm not a scientist. They're going to say that life should be unbearable so that we can, you know, we can offset our CO2 emissions. And they're going to say, you, you can't do this, you can't, or you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that. And I suppose these laws, or this law, will make it easier for them to shut down dissent in the future. That's right. That's really what it's about, because you said you're not a scientist. Well, Richie, uh, let me tell you, being a scientist, from what I've learned for the last number of years, is no great kudos or medal, or medal to wear on your chest. Well said. Um, the scientists have got it wrong. Uh, so far uh, over the last number of years in relation to the COVID that uh, being a scientist now should almost be a dirty word and they too should be a protected group under this act. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that's the thing because they're running an online safety bill through Parliament here. Um, it's in the Lords mm. now, I believe. And um, yeah, one of the things they want to prevent people doing is making claims about vaccines or medicine. What they want to do here is enshrine in law that if the World Health Organization or the government's chief medical officer says this medicine is good for you and it's fine and dandy, that in the future, if you and I went on Twitter and said, well, I'm not sure about that, Ben, or you might say, Richie, I'm not sure about that because, God, that medicine came to the uh, pharmacy very quickly. I'm not sure it's uh, entirely safe. Well, they want to make that very difficult in the future. They want to be able to shut you down at source right. the minute that you say That's anything right. like and that. And any, anything you say then, will that be an incitement to hatred against yeah. people who didn't take a vaccine, who did take a vaccine, against the producers of the vaccine? Like, the, the act is so vague that it will close a lot of people down because people are looking at a five-year sentence here and thinking, well, that's me finished on social media. I'm not going to speak out anymore about anything. You know, I'm just going yeah. to keep my views to myself. And I think that's really what it's about. There is another part in this that most people haven't spoke about, and it's a Section 8. I just had a quick look at it. And Section 8 is about um, if you have denial uh, of any genocide um, or war crime or something like that. So um, I see they did that in Germany and they made it a criminal offence to be um, uh, the Holocaust deniers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, 
whatever anybody's view is on whether the Holocaust happened or not, it was uh, it, it was nearly like if you're old enough and you live through it, you're at the you're at the autumn of your life. And whether my neighbour believes it happened or not, what does that matter? Doesn't matter. Like no. if he denies the Holocaust happened, why should that be a criminal offence? I mean, we're now making it a criminal offence that you must believe something. Like, what if he genuinely doesn't believe it, right? Like, why are we making it a criminal offence if he doesn't believe it? He because might, now we're um, trying to control your mind. Yeah, he might not believe it, but he is not motivated by any dislike of Jewish people. He actually might just well, not no. believe it. Yeah. Well, and, let's say he loves Jewish people. Is he allowed then to deny it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to like, criminalise what being wrong. Well, there's going to be an official version of events for everything that ever happened. I mean, I've had Kevin Myers on this programme, the uh, the Irish journalist. Now, I like Kevin. He's very curmudgeonly, and a lot of his views I would disagree with over the years. But Kevin is, um, you know, Kevin has, has written a book about what happened in Nazi Germany. And he... Yeah. Kevin, like myself, I mean, I've been to Dachau, I've been to the, the other place in, um, in in Munich, near Starnberg. Um, no, Dachau, that's the place, and uh, and and, yeah. and, and Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, you know, I from, from what I understand, I did history at third level, so the Germans attempted to exterminate the Jews. That's what I believe, right? So, Kevin... Oh, me too. And I know you me, believe... Me I, too. I, I, I'm not, that, that's not the point. The record. Me I, too. I know you do. And I know I've seen do. some of the horrific movies yeah. that you see at the time. And that's uh, not the point I'm making. Footage, I mean. That's not yeah, the... real life footage where they were shooting them into the trenches that were just freshly dug, and a guy just sitting nonchalantly smoking while watching these people watching just being shot. Yeah. And so, so the horrific of that. No, but no. If my I... neighbour doesn't believe it, so what? This is the point I want to make. I, I, of course, I know that that you know you, you like me have been educated. You, you know what happened. But the, the reason I brought Kevin up, right? So Kevin is somebody who would have spoken about these things. He would have been um, an advocate for. Um, human rights for Jewish people and what have you. But a few years mm -hmm. ago, Kevin got into a little bit of trouble, eight or nine years ago, because Kevin said that he felt the number six million was probably a bit high and that logistically it would have been very difficult to to gas and then burn so many people. But he in no way said at the time to Kevin that, oh, um, the Holocaust is a hoax, uh, the Jews were not targeted in Germany. He didn't say that at all. Now, at the time, there was a little mm. bit of fuss about it, and he explained himself, and that was fine. But in the future, he could be in serious trouble for that because of that clause in this legislation you, you just said about That's there, right. questioning genocide. And he could yeah. be right about the figure of six million. I mean, it's hard for anybody hard to, know, to put yeah. a figure on it. Six million is all of Ireland, north yeah. and south, you know. It's hard to believe, and that's men, women and children. But listen, it was horrific what happened and really against an innocent people. I mean, just because you were Jewish. Yeah. And in Ireland, I think most of us, even most of us that are accused of being far right, agree that incitement to hatred against anybody is wrong. It doesn't matter what, like, what does it matter if you're transsexual, bisexual, um, you believe that you're a man when you're a woman or any of those things? What does that matter? Um, or you're just an ordinary, white, straight, married Christian man. Well, like, what does it matter if it's an incitement to hatred? It matters we not, all yeah. agree incitement to hatred against anybody is wrong. 
they're going to... But I'm, I'm talking about a genuine incitement to hatred where you're inciting a crowd to hate somebody and, and to, to harm cause them, them harm. And to cause them harm. Do you know what they're going to do? And, and the reason I mentioned Kevin and the reason we brought up Nazi Germany, denial, right? They're going to... I believe this is just an opinion. I don't have any proof of this. But I believe they will try to legislate for climate change denial. I do see that coming, Ben. I, oh, really I see do. all of that coming. Denial yeah. of anything, Richie. Yeah. Denial of the effectiveness of vaccines when the next pandemic hits. Denial of a pandemic. Um, it just makes things so much easier because the one thing they have learned on this test run, if you like, from the last couple of years was, one, they're happy enough that the people comply on their mass. That's the first issue. Two is they're happy that the people will turn on each other, like you've seen people who wear masks and they were happy enough to eat in restaurants while their fellow countrymen were locked outside simply because they chose bodily autonomy yeah. uh, and bodily integrity. So, so they're happy with all of that. The part they weren't happy with is the social media where people spoke their views and shared evidence. So they know they have to stop that. So you're right, a law has to come in to prevent denial of anything. That's a much easier way. And to give you an example of what I, I was saying about far right in Ireland, look, Ireland might have a couple of bad apples. It may have a couple of racists. It certainly doesn't have any white supremacists, or if it does, he's living alone somewhere. No one knows who he is. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my, my view of Ireland is oh, your ordinary man, and I'm speaking generally, your ordinary guy on the street that I meet even at these protests and all are decent, hardworking men who would run to the aid of a man being injured or set upon in our country. And the man doesn't look to see if he's white, black, Indian, Chinese, if he was getting assaulted or robbed in, in Dublin. Yeah. People would just run and risk their own life to help him. I've seen it so many times before myself. And if you look back at the old act, of 1989, incitement to hatred, there has been only about 50 prosecutions of that in 30 years since it was enacted. And that, what does that so tell you? That, yeah. 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 So what does that tell you about yeah. uh, uh, the Irish people? Now, we know there's often idiots out there and they say things in the heat of a temper and they didn't really mean it and they probably got prosecuted for that. But in general, 50 prosecutions in more than 30 years of the Act shows that the Irish people are not in favour, nor do they take part in citing uh, of hatred against anybody. Uh, and so there really was probably no need for this legislation, but I think it's more about curtailing the freedom of speech, uh, putting the fear of God in you that you don't speak out because, as I said to you, the Act is so ambiguous it could mean anything and the threat of the guards coming to your home and taking all of your stuff. Like, let's say somebody wanted to get in and just look at what I have in my computer, some of the banking cartel, and they just really want to see what do I have. Uh, and somebody makes a complaint to the guardie that, oh, I said something about someone that was deemed to be an incitement to hatred, and they got all my stuff and took all my computers. And then afterwards, we've got the DPP said, ah, there was no case to answer. So what do I do about the invasion of privacy? Nothing. They'll say that was an investigation of a crime. So it's also a way of getting to people's information, anything they want, that they can do it. So there's such sweeping powers in this. I'm very concerned about it all. But also the denial that you can't deny. I think this is coming under the cloak 
of yeah. the attack on your, your freedom of speech. And remember, the denial thing, as I said to you, if I believe something didn't happen, like the moon landing, let's say, yeah, or that there was a, a genuine um, pandemic, let's say I don't believe that, and that's my mind, they want to force my actual thoughts now. And it's a lot to do with freedom of speech too. If I have to be careful what I say now, I'm now also controlling my mind. You're in a prison, aren't you? To, you yeah, you're controlling your mind as well as your speech. And this is very dangerous. Like everyone agrees that, you know, we shouldn't incite hatred against other, but this is going much further. It wants to control now the way we, the way we think, what we believe and what we say about people. Ben, uh, it, it, and that's why this is a dangerous, dangerous law. In the 90 seconds we have left today, thanks for coming back, pal. Um, tell me, will the Irish stand for it? Are we lost? Or is there still something left of Ireland, do you think? Uh, I'd like to have confidence and say the Irish won't stand for us, but unfortunately, the last couple of years has taught me harsh lessons about the Irish people. And I hate to say that if there was an election in the morning, they'll probably vote the same clowns back in. Um, the fighting Irish, we are, uh, seems to me in the last three years, we have turned into a gutless, spineless nation. And unless that changes, we will continually be the whipping boys of Europe. Ben, where can people find you online? You're on Twitter at Ben Gilroy. So find Ben on Twitter, yeah. follow him there. But where else can they find you online? Remind us. Uh, on Facebook as well. And um uh, obviously, I'm trying to do something in the political field to see if there's a will from the Irish people. Now, I won't probably run in any elections myself, um, but I'm going to see if we can get something together where younger men now take the mantle and move forward. And really, it, it, it'll just be about the protection of our rights because our rights have been eroded so much in this country that we are second-class citizens in our own country. And that needs to change. And we need to have government now who are not, for, like for the last 10 years, our governments have been against the people and for banking corporations. Now I see it moving towards the medical corporations and God knows now where the rest of this is going. So we need a, a strong party in government who are basically rights driven uh, for the Irish people, that their main focus is you do not um, trample upon the rights of Irish people and that any of these draconian legislations will be overturned immediately if uh, any of us or any of the people in the party that we hope to get together will put in, that that will be their promises, that all these uh, legislations coming in uh, will be uh, overturned. But as I say, I agree with Tracy Mahoney when she says that one paragraph in Section 11 where it says it doesn't affect your freedom of speech, I think that had to be put in there because the bill was so draconian that after debate that was put in, because I do believe this was easily open for a Supreme Court challenge has been unconstitutional. But then they have that one paragraph in there that will sort of protect that because the Supreme Court would look at that and say, no, 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 it's not affecting freedom of speech. So there you go. But I think that it's still hard to see unless you actually come out and do something crazy, how there would actually be a conviction under this act. But it's enough to frighten the bejesus out of someone to shut up, say nothing, don't protest. And I think that's the aim of it. Ben, thanks for coming back today. It's been um, too long, pal. Don't be a stranger. I really appreciate your time and uh, I'm no delighted matter, you're fighting a good fight. Quick one, I'm, I'm off to America uh, next week. We're going over to see the SEC. 
We've huge complaints going in against Irish vulture funds and banks. It's been ongoing for a couple of years. Because of COVID, I haven't been able to tra uh, tra travel over to our lawyers. But uh, we hope to have big news in the next couple of months in relation to all of this and the fraudulent practices. So we'll see how that uh, ends up. But we're always at it, Richie. Always at it. That's the Securities and Exchange Commission in New York. That's fascinating. That That's Yeah, right. we'll talk about that when you get back, please, God. Yeah, of course, Richie. No problem. Thanks, Ben. Good luck to you, pal. No and best to your Thanks, family. Pal, Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening and see you all soon. It's a long bye, time bye, bye. Ben. Ben Gilroy, brilliant, brilliant guy, um, advocate, human rights activist. Um, mortgage fraud. Um, what, how, would, how would you describe him? He uncovered massive mortgage fraud in Ireland 10, 11 years ago. First met him when I was doing a People's Voice gig in London back in 2013. Find him on Facebook. Find him on Twitter. This is... Tuesday. Why, why am I obsessed with Tuesday? It's not as if we've had a bank holiday. It is Wednesday's Richie Allen Show, of course. Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Your comments in a moment. And then Sarah Habubi will join us live on the line also from Ireland. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show. Live from the magnificent city of Salford. Magnificent it is. Dean says the same system that was responsible for the Holocaust is the same system that is introducing this stranglehold on freedom of thought and freedom of speech. That's Dean. That's a good point, Dean. Thank you. And um, Bicob asks me about um, a guest who came on to speak about crematoriums. That was a long time ago. I'd have to have a look at that, um, Bicob. Thank you for that. David says, Richie, that's Brambo. I'm increasingly of the opinion that the mass immigration of mostly military-age men with no affinity to the country will provide a very useful pool of potential recruits for a state repressive paramilitary force with which to repress and control the population once the backlash to the tyranny kicks off. I've heard that before. Again, I'd have to see some proof of that. I mean, that's just horrifying. So I'm going to say, Brambo, not to be curmudgeonly, but I don't see that happening. And, I, and, and, and you feel free to describe me as naive. But that you would let a lot of young men from Africa, from sub-Saharan Africa, from the Middle East, that you would let them into a country under the guise that they were asylum seekers to eventually train them to fight against the civilian population when the civilian population eventually rises up. Jesus, Mary and Holy St. Joseph, David. I mean, if that's right, I'm going to be called or accused of being naive. But that's mental, you know. Absolutely mental. Everything is mental. You're not supposed to say mental. You know ITV is running Mental Health Awareness Week this week. I thought that every week of every year on the UK media was Mental Health Awareness Week because I'm sick to death of turning on the television and seeing some celebrity crying and looking for attention because they had mental health struggles. I couldn't give a shit. And you know what they're trying to do, of course? You know, they're trying to brainwash a generation of kids into thinking that they are uh, suffering from mental illness and that they need to be treated. And by the way, you need to take some drugs as well and maybe some more vaccines. Jesus, every time you turn the television on, you know. Um, thanks for all your messages. I'm running out of time. I can't read them all. I've got to take a tune now and get uh, Sarah on the programme. It is The Richie Allen Show. It is Wednesday. And this is the late, great Roy Orbison, as produced by Jeff Lynn. And this is You Got It. Anything you need, you got it. 
Yeah, Roy Orbison and you got it from Jesus Mystery Girl, that's the album. Eight minutes past six it is. This Wednesday, the 17th of May, 2023. I'm Richie Allen. You are listening to the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. It's great to have you on board. And I'm delighted to be welcoming back to the programme a lady who came on. I reckon it was late February, March. I can never remember. Because Monday to Thursday, every week, millions of guests. But she was fantastic. She's an international speaker, coach and NLP master practitioner. When she came on last time, she came on to talk about building communities or bringing communities of people together to create parallel systems that would make the current globalist-led systems obsolete. It was fascinating. The podcast afterwards had tens of thousands of downloads. I'm delighted to welcome back to the programme Sarah Haboubi. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Richie. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you today? I'm great. And thank you for having me back on. Oh, it's great to have you back on. There's so much to talk about. Do you want to give us a quick word on the hate speech law going through Irish Parliament at the moment because, you know, speaking to my guest before uh, you came on, Ben Gilroy, um, he's of the opinion, I'm of the opinion, that laws like that, incredibly dark, incredibly Orwellian laws, well, they're really there for people like you, Sarah, to stop you talking about these things and maybe planning solutions. What do you reckon? Oh, definitely. They've uh, been trying to silence us for the last three years. And, um, well, I just, I feel like they've, they've pushed this so hard and obviously they ignored the, you know, 70, 80% of people who, uh, when they asked them, is this a good idea? They said, absolutely not. And they said, no, 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 we're going to do it anyway. Um, I think I probably said it last time. This is a juggernaut. It's going off a cliff. Um, there's nowhere to stop it. They, they, they just have to keep going with their agenda and we have a choice. We can either be on that juggernaut and thinking that, you know, they're going to look after us and stop it someday and everything will go back to normal in quotation marks. Uh, we can try and be in front of it, trying to stop it, but we're just going to get steamrolled uh, or pushed off the cliff with it. Or my favourite solution is to, as you said uh, in the introduction, to, to build new systems, parallel societies uh, that make them completely obsolete. And hopefully by building something wonderful and new and really, you know, led by the people, grassroots movements, that we will attract those, as many people off the juggernaut as possible, uh, who will then come and join us because they, they are lost. <clears throat> they don't know what to do. They're just being bombarded by one crisis after another. And um, it is going to take, you know, um, it doesn't have to be everybody. I, I heard 3.5% of the population actively doing something is enough to, to turn the tide completely and stop things. I don't think we can stop this, but I do think we can. Uh, we can make them obsolete, and uh, you know, we want to make it so that people feel that their voices are heard, that they can feed their families, they can heat their homes, they can, you know, have meaningful work and occupation, and their children can be educated without any more uh, woke agenda being shoved down their throats. I love this, of course. I love solutions, and I'm very interested in Think Local. Let's get the negativity out of the way, because I want to get it out of the way. It's not negativity, really. It comes from good people. There are people who are, they've been so worn down by the last three years, particularly, 
and by the legislation they see going through the door, that's the Irish Parliament, of course. I don't say that for your benefits, Sarah, of course. I say that for our listeners overseas. And uh, the UK Parliament. People are so horrified by it. They ask a legitimate question. They say, you see, people like Sarah Hububi, really smart woman, right? Good stuff. But will they allow you? I mean, this is so fascistic, what we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes. Do you not expect some physical interference when you say, right, we're going to set up um, grassroots, completely organic, whole, wholesome, wholehearted, decent, humane uh, initiatives where we can live away from your tyranny? There are those who will say, Sarah, they're not going to allow you. What do you say to that? Well, they want us to feel that way. They want people to feel hopeless and helpless. And um, I have to remind myself as well, I, you know, even though I, I work with people and I help them with their mental health and, and their own inner blocks, um, you know, I'm human and there are days that I do feel absolutely overwhelmed. And, and, and then I remind myself that's what they want. They want us to feel like that. And we've, again, we, you know, everything is all about free will at the end of the day. And we can choose to just lie down and just let them get away with it. But the reality is there are a hell of a lot more of us than there are of them. And people have to remember that, you know, that, that we are the people. We And the power lies with more and more of us talking to each other, meeting physically, you know, coming off uh, <laughs> the social media platforms. Uh, and I'm, I'm a devil myself of, for Twitter. You know, I don't know how many th- tens of thousands of tweets I've, I've, yeah, uh, yeah. I've put out there in the last three years. But I am planning to come off in July. Um, I, that will be three years. And I've said, that's it. Um, and to just start actually meeting, talking connecting again and really feel that and just to come back into yourself because right now right here if you just take a deep breath and get grounded there's no point being in panic that's not going to solve anything we have to be clear-headed we have to be able to be calm and we have to be able to to think you know of what is it they really want what what do they want they do want us to feel down and depressed fear we're much much easier to control and at the end of the day, my, my philosophy is no one gets out of this alive. It's what we do between now and then that counts. So, you know, let's put up a fight. Let's let's do this. Um, they want us to feel down. Well, I'm not going to give in. Well, well said. And yeah, over the last three years, they've worked really hard on breaking the connection between people. The most natural thing I can think of, really. People were created, whatever created you and me, we were created to be together, weren't we? We were created to socialise, you know, to be in the same space, to to hug, to laugh, to tell stories, um, you know, to experience each other's highs and lows and joys. That's all of us collectively. It really seems to me, looking back on the last three years, Sarah, that they really worked hard on breaking that connectivity, that energetic transfer between people, didn't they? And you can see this with your own experience, your NLP experience. You see it, I think, more than anybody who's been on this programme with a kind of a unique perspective. You really saw what was going on, didn't you? Well, I, I've had a lot of clients, especially recently, I'm, I'm getting more and more um, you know, teenagers uh, being brought uh, for, for my help. And it's it's really quite devastating, actually, to see the impact the last three years is, is having on them. You know, they are really being tortured uh, by what's gone on. And obviously they were you know, terrified at, you know, for their lives and for the lives of their families as well. And yeah, from, from a client point of view, you know, I see people coming in and, and their stress levels are high and their anxiety is high. And, you know, and but the reality is. There are very easy ways actually to overcome that. 
because a lot of, you know, the, I suppose the bottom line is for me, you know, 2020 was, was when I, in quotation marks, woke up. And uh, it was because of a lady called Sandy Adams, who I had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of weeks ago. So that interview will be coming out soon. Great. And she just explained Agenda 2030 so, so beautifully and so clearly um, that I was able to then go, OK, this is not just incompetent, corrupt politicians um, and, you know, uh, corporations. There's something much, much bigger. And this has been going on for a very, very long time. So whilst we might have felt OK before 2020, in reality, the world was going down this road anyway. So I'd rather be awake and know what's going on and really sort of ground myself and figure out how how can I look after myself and my family first and then connect with uh, my local communities and friends and really build that really strong network um, than just still believing that the world is going to go back to, as I said, quotation marks normal, you know, that we're being believing that the politicians are going to do the right thing, that, you know, these uh, SDGs, these social... Uh, sustainable development goals are actually for our benefit um and they all sound wonderful and fluffy and everything else i'd, I'd rather be wide awake i like it we um we're going to talk about the conference and think local and what's happening in july in a moment but um it's funny you mentioned that people thinking that it's going to be okay i i get that i meet people who f fully understand the magnitude of what has happened and why it's happening but god love them they still throw a you know a metaphorical blanket over themselves where they say uh somebody's going to come and stop it and they're not and that's not to yeah, take this course. down a negative that's human yeah, nature it's human, it's human nature. nature to to you know it's easier to abdicate responsibility i suppose they've been capitalizing on that you know we've abdicated responsibility for our health for our children's education for our money for our food, um, you know, we've just slowly been giving you know, all of our power away. Um, and yes, this is going to be hard. I have no doubt that what we are going to be facing into is going to be incredibly difficult. Um, but I also believe that on the other side of it, we will be facing into a completely new reality. And people have to have mental toughness. We're, we're going to have to be mentally very resilient to do that. And to do that, you have to first of all start taking responsibility for your own life your own actions for what's going on around you. Um, stop blaming everybody else. The blame game doesn't serve anybody. Um, you know, so one of the concepts of NLP is actually uh, cause and effect, that everything that happens, there, you know, there was a reason for it. And you can think of that as, as an equation that you can choose which side to live on. Most people will live at effect. They'll, they're the victim mode. They're, you know, poor me. Um, and they're all about the stories and they'll tell you the stories until you know, the cows come home. But just because you're telling stories doesn't mean it's actually going to change anything. In actual fact, the more you tell the stories of how bad things are, the more real that becomes to you. Whereas if you move to being living what's called living at cause, we start to recognize that everything that is happening in our lives is because of us. You know, uh, I heard a great quote. Have you ever noticed whenever there's problems, you know, you're there? Yeah. And I just think that's, you know, such a brilliant way of looking at the world. You just go, look, if something's going on, it, it, you can't change it by blaming other people or even blaming yourself. I'm not talking about, you know, blaming yourself, but to take responsibility, say, you know, everything I am where I am because of the choices and decisions that I've made, you know, right up to this moment. And we have the power to change our choices and decisions. We have to understand, of course, what was the intention behind that? What were we really hoping to achieve? And then check that with the impact. But once we understand that and really accept it as a concept, yes, it's harder, but it's much more empowering and it's much more satisfying.
Folks, go to thinklocal.ie, thinklocal.ie to find out more about this and to find out about upcoming conferences and how you can attend. We'll talk about those in a minute. Years ago, I, I've been on this journey for many years, Sarah, right? Um, that doesn't uh, that doesn't give me one over you at all. It doesn't. There were people alive to these agendas in the 80s and 90s. I had my, I suppose, um, startling moment in the mid-2000s. But um, I've, I've been saying something in the last couple of years and it doesn't go down well. It's often taken, mm-hmm. it's often taken as if I'm having um, sly digs at independent content creators. I am not. I'm not. The independent content creators online are doing a good thing. They're openly discussing the tyranny. So I'm not having a go at them. But a lot of people I meet are happy to go online and to watch a video or a podcast where they are being told the thing they already know is happening. And I read an article about Tucker Carlson recently. Now, again, Tucker Carlson might be a good guy. I have no idea. He's talked about some interesting things on Fox News before he left. But a guy wrote an article about Tucker and others like him, again, not to criticise him directly, but that they are kind of used, and maybe we all are somehow, even in the independent media, as like a pressure valve for people. Like the establishment kind of, or the elite kind of, builds this into the overall program. We don't want the people rising up or or doing something along the lines of what you're doing, Sarah. So what we'll do is we'll direct them down echo chambers where they will hear how shite it all is and how terrible the elite is, but that's just giving them the chance to release a bit of pressure but they're not going to do anything with that information. Now, I've been fascinated by this concept for several years. What say you with your NLP hat on you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the powers that be, they don't care what energy they get from us, whether we're with them or against them, because either one of those feeds them. And yeah, absolutely. They, uh, as I said earlier, they want everyone to be afraid. They want everyone to be terrified, yeah. and helpless and hopeless. So absolutely tuning in and, and, and listening to how bad things are. Um, I think, well, we, look, we need to know what's really going on. But how, how do we really know? You know, how do we know when, when someone's talking that they're... <laughs> they're what what they're telling us is true. If yeah. We don't have our own eyes and eyes and ears on it directly. You know, we're we're relying on those people uh, to tell us. So so for me, you know, it is very tempting to just constantly watch you know video after vid- video about you know how awful everything is. But that that's kind of feeding a bit of an addiction as well. And it does it makes people go, it's too big. It's too big for me. I can't do anything. And then they just give up. And that's again what they want. And every time I think you know I find myself feeling overwhelmed. I just have to stop, ground myself, breathe, bring myself back to yeah. what's, what I can see here and feel in this very moment. And it sounds so simplistic. No, no, it's good. It's good. But it actually is incredibly powerful because coming back to our senses and coming back into our physical bodies is the only place to be. The only thing that actually exists is the present moment right here, right now. Well said. And before we, we're, we're now going to talk about the conferences coming up, I've asked my listeners in the past when I've met them, why do you listen? Because I learned you know some information I heard and, and then I always ask what are you going to do with that that's the next thing you see and I've had my own dark nights where I've wondered about the point of bloody well doing programs like this like are people just coming because they just wanted confirmed to them what they feel or is there some genuine hope that they'll take the information that they get not just from this program there are many programs some of them are brilliant and then and then use it Sarah Habubi is our guest think local dot ie right 
building parallel systems and communities, self-sustaining, you know, um, to, 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 as a way of ridding um, ourselves or extricating ourselves from the dystopian globalist society that is unfolding in front of us. Tell us about the conferences and what goes on and what people can get from them when they, when they do come along, Sarah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the one we had in February was a, a roaring success. Um, we just had so many emails and, and people contacting us afterwards, you know, thanking us for, for putting it on. And, you know, we just see ourselves as, as facilitators. We're not leaders. Um, and we had if people go to the website now. Those videos are actually up so people can see the whole conference um, for free. They can watch it and they can see the six videos there, um, of all the panel discussions and our keynote speakers. Um, and people kept contacting us to say, well, what, what are you doing next? What are you, do, what are you doing next? So we've decided to put on a, a Think Local Feast and Festival uh, in July, and it's going to be the 19th and 20th. And the idea is that the uh, the feast is going to be um, showcasing the best of, of regenerative farming uh, produce. So these are really, truly organic, um, you know, happy, free animals and obviously uh, organic vegetables that are grown uh, some of them actually in the forest, they're completely, uh, they're almost wild, actually. And um, we're going to have some speakers uh, at the feast as well. And, you know, good wine, obviously, and some entertainment. Marvellous. And then on the actual summer festival day, we're going to have lots going on. There's there's several different venues where we have, uh, where we're holding it, which I can't get just yet. I'm sure most people appreciate why. Um, but we're going to have a summer school where we'll have speakers speaking throughout the day, discussions and discussing mainly Agenda 2030, regenerative farming, um, again, sort of solutions. So we, we don't want, you know, we want people to go away feeling uh, empowered and they've got uh, a toolbox that they can, re you know, look, rely on. Uh, we're also going to have Speaker's Corner, uh, where, you know, free speech rules, uh, as well as, you know, music, entertainment throughout the day, and an ex exhibition uh, marquee where we're going to be having local producers come and, again, show off their, their produce, and um, lots of fun as well. You know, we're going to have a pizza going and lots of food trucks and everything will be very tasty and uh, you know, really enjoyable for people again to get together and physically be in the same space and hopefully a bit of sunshine. But it is it is island. So <laughs> I know we are, we've can't. got uh, what happens if it rains. We've got we've got that covered. What happens when it rains? Uh, by the way, folks, uh, Sarah Habubi is on Twitter. And it is at Sarah, S-A-R-A, Habubi, H-A-B-O-U-B-I-1, Sarah Habubi 1. Sarah has Iraqi heritage. We spoke about we spoke about this last time as she was on. All the information about the conference, thinklocal.ie. Isn't it a terrible indictment, isn't it? Like you said, we can't announce where we're going to be yet for obvious reasons. It's, that's, it's shocking, that, it's shocking. shocking yeah, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah, but the uh, but but the uh, the facility that we're using, they've guaranteed us. You know, this is uh, they they won't budge. So um, we're happy enough with that. We're we're pretty confident that this is not gonna. We're not gonna have the same trouble as last time. I mean, they can try, but it, you know, they won't succeed. You know, you've got a bunch of nice people, professional people, intelligent people, harmless in terms of no physical threat to anybody who want to go along and discuss about how you know, to live life naturally and happily and you've got people doing all they can to stop it happening. I, I saw this firsthand 
and I couldn't believe it with my own eyes back in back in 2015 or 2016. Um, David Icke had booked a suite at, at Old Trafford Soccer Stadium where he was going to speak about these issues. It had sold out, Sarah. And on the day, imagine the tickets had been sold. On the day, some groups uh, of politicians in Manchester managed to persuade Old Trafford Football and Manchester United to kick him out. That was my first experience of it. And I'm no less shocked today when I hear that it's going on, you know, that, you know, an, an initiative like yours, which I think is fantastic, that you'd have to be putting up with that nonsense, really. I wrote an article for my website today. It's not that great because I'm not a great writer, but I'm going to swear now. I hope you're not offended. Uh, the article was, was simply called, um, oh, I can't remember now. I'll, I'll bring it up very briefly. But it's what I was brought up to believe when I was, you know, when I was at uni. Yeah, my argument was, sorry, my, my article headline is make an argument or shut the fuck up. So make an yeah. argument. If you don't like the ideas put out there by Sarah Habubi, be a gentleman or a lady and say, hey, Sarah, let's have it out. Let's meet in a town hall. Let's have a discussion about it. But they want to close you down, cancel you. They, they, they'd see you lose your job, Sarah, if they could. And this well, is they, they, terrible. They can't argue. I, I, no. that, that's the bottom line. They don't have, they don't understand really, most of them, why they are so angry you know, at those of us who are speaking out, you know, they've no idea what's actually really going on, what this is actually bringing up in them. Um, but for me personally, I, I just feel very sorry for them. You know, they're, they're very unhappy people. Uh, they're completely disempowered. They've totally bought into the to the left wokeism and, you know, the, the media going on about climate crisis and, you know, that we have to cull 30% of the herd um, and an absolute, you know, barking mad concept that if they actually just stop to think, um, you know, does this make sense? I mean, this is always my question when I hear something. D does that make sense? You know, where is the evidence? Um, I think they'd be quite kind of shocked themselves to really sort of go into it. But who knows what their motivation is at the end of the day? Um, but, you know, the world is full of different types of people. And we just have to keep focusing on making connections with those who, who help to, to feed our soul, yeah. um, as opposed to, to, you know, getting us all riled up. Your take will be interesting on this now because I mentioned today when I would reach out over the years to say a transgender activist say and look I'm a professional journalist I've never been rude to a guest on air I've never cut a guest down I've never brought somebody on to embarrass them and I'm known for that I have been my entire career so I would say to the trans person listen I, I don't believe that you know somebody, a biological male can never really be a woman. I don't believe that. But look, I want to hear more about it and I want to get this discussion going in a way that we can talk about it without people screaming at one another. Now, the email would come back instantaneously. We don't debate transphobes or homophobes. Now, I used yeah. to think, I used yeah. to, wait, wait for this, I used to think, right, that they were being cowardly and that the we don't debate transphobes was actually their get-out-of-jail card. But I'm desperately keen to hear your take on this with your experience um, of the mind and how people think. I don't believe they are cowards. I believe that they have been conditioned to genuinely believe that when somebody asks a question, that person is dangerous, uh, a real threat and is hateful and is, uh, you, you know, something that you must avoid at all costs. Well, well that's interesting because I actually went to the uh, the Genspect conference in Kalani 
Uh, it was a three-day conference, and uh, they held it in the same town at the same time as the EPAS, which is the medical, you know, transitioning all about uh, hormones and puberty blockers and, and surgery. Um, and they wanted to hold it at the same time. And the, and the Genspect conference was called The Bigger Picture. And if you haven't had um, anyone who was speaking at that conference on Richie, I would highly, highly recommend it. It's also yeah. all online. You can, you can watch the videos. And what was really, really interesting, well, all of it was fascinating. It was heartbreaking. It was very dark. Um, you know, the, the speed at which these people are shoved down the, uh, the conveyor belt of, of transitioning, you know, and uh, they've, they've just shown now if, if kids are on puberty blockers, it's a 90% chance they'll go on to the cross-sex hormones and, and uh, surgery. And there were many, many detransitioners speaking at the conference. And I did go and speak to them personally. And it, they were, were fed a lie. And, and there was two things that struck me and that really stood out for me. One was, was a young man who had attempted to transition to be a woman. And he told his story. And at the end, he said it was a bit like his, the analogy he used, which I thought was really powerful. He said, it's like you're standing at the bank of a river and you're looking at the other bank and you really want to be on the other bank. And it, so you get into the water. And before you know it, you're being swept down this river and you're getting further and further down. And at some point, you suddenly realize you're never going to get to the other bank. You're never going to get there. And they've been lied to and they've been manipulated. And one of the speakers um, has actually been doing research on the online forums, which are you know, many, many online forums for uh, transgendered people. And what she found was that there was no room for doubt. That if someone said, are, are you sure this is the right thing? I, I, I'm, I'm worried if I'm doing the right thing, that they would be pounced on immediately to, to shut that down. So even amongst themselves, they are not expressing doubt or and anything contrary to what they believe they actually can do, which is to biologically change their sex. So it is incredibly sad. Most of these people are lost. They are vulnerable. 80% of girls actually are on the spectrum. Sorry, 90% of girls who present uh, to the gender clinics actually are on the spectrum. They're very hard to diagnose. Girls are much harder than boys because they do a lot of uh, mimicking and they can mask it. Um, so it's, it tends to take a lot longer to diagnose girls. And about 80% of boys who present at gender clinics are actually gay. So they are very uncomfortable within themselves. They've got, you know, internalized homophobia. And they just, they've got body dysphoria. And, and so many people spoke, you know, with just such uh, compassion, you know, about this. And, and many therapists were there. And there was one guy who very bravely, you know, he said he had kind of, you know, contemplated this when he was younger. And then... It was actually puberty that actually cured it. So they're trying to stop children going through puberty because for most people, most of these, when they go through puberty, they actually desist. They actually re actually become com more comfortable in their bodies. Um, so they are living in an illusion. They are living in a, in a world that they are so unhappy with them who they are. They cannot accept themselves, but they want other people to accept the delusion, you know, that they can be somebody different. So it, it was a really, really. It, 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 well, I'm not here really to talk about that, but I no, just no, but really this is fascinating. Oh no, it's good. Listen, it's it's new. that they put on and, and very brave. And again, we didn't know where the venue was until the day before, um, yeah. and everybody was fine with that. Everyone, you know, uh, understood what was at stake. Um, so I would recommend anyone, uh, you know, wondering about this to go to the Genspect website. They've got documentaries. Stella Malley, who's um, she's she's the founder, you know, is wonderful, and they had um, just incredible speakers. 
from around the world, including detransitioners, and that's who people need to listen to. If any parent is what you know worried that their child is gender confused and may go down this path, you know the doctors are saying, oh, you just you just pop a pill and we'll just chop some bits off and then they'll be happy. And of course, that's never going to make you happy. <laughs> How can that possibly make you happy? You know, having parts of your body removed has a, a, a massive impact on the human psyche. It's impossible to get away from that. And I mean, one poor, poor uh, man, he was in his 20s when he went through this. And he said that the minute that he woke up from his surgery to have his penis removed, he regretted it. Now, the on that, he- oh, oh, sorry, um, Sarah, on that, I've got to mention Diane Hughes. Diane is a, is a fantastic lady. Diane is a transsexual woman. And I've never heard a better explanation. I think Diane would be in her 60s now. If not, I'm going to be hammered. But she's a friend of the show's, right? Originally from Wales, is living in Munster now. And came on the show about three years ago, maybe four years ago, to talk about this and gave a really, really good um, explanation of what she'd gone through in her life with gender dysphoria and what have you. And doesn't regret it to this day. Now, this is not a kind of a gotcha, um, you, you know, me saying, well, it's not always the case. But um, for some people, for some men, for some women, um, it has been the best thing for them. I don't know if it's a majority or a minority. I've also heard from lots of people who had surgery and, like you just said there, regretted and it has caused them serious problems psychologically and physically. But Diane said to me, I knew what I had, Richie, uh, gender dysphoria, I don't know, body dysmorphia, and um, went through all the prop, you know, went through all the discussions, thought about it, spoke to people, and, and, and some years ago had the surgery and life was instantly better. So, well, that's, for, uh, and, 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 you know, that's when they were an adult. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. what's happening is this is being pushed onto children onto younger children, and younger. Yeah. And we've just seen, you know, in, in um, primary school, they have a, a booklet called Busy Bodies. And that start, that's aimed at primary school children, telling them that you're talking about gender and that they can be a boy or a girl uh, or either or neither or both. Um, you know, I think it's a look, adults can do whatever the hell they like. No, it's a good point. Diana, they want to do. Good point. They really believe that. That's fine, but they need to leave the kids alone. Well said. And Diane had gone through puberty. Before we come back to talking about think local, um, you mentioned there about I I think you said internalized homophobia. I'm fascinated by this, and I believe this is a real thing, where young lads struggling to come to terms with the fact they're gay, which none of us have a problem with anymore, or the vast majority of us don't anyway. um, can't deal with it. I would have thought, right, now I'm not gay, so I probably don't have the right to speak on this as an expert, but I would have thought it's there's never been a better time in history for people to say, well, look, I am gay. I mean, society is more than accepting of uh, of gay and lesbian men and women, so that's but a they, strange they, one. They fought, they fought so hard for their rights. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, as have women, you know, in general. So you've got women, you've got gay and lesbians, you know, who have fought tooth and nail to be treated, you know, equally. And, and yeah, I agree with you, Richie, you know, we, we were there. Um, but I think this, this ideology is coming from, from a much darker place. It's, I heard a good word today, you know, to describe it, which is it's wicked. It's wicked to talk to, to children, prepubescent children, to say, if you're not happy in your body, you're probably in the wrong one to, to tell someone that they're born in the wrong body. And I do have a personal friend who actually transitioned at 51, uh, male to female. And he was a six foot five guy from you know Manchester. 
and um, 12 years later, he, he, he sort of discovered spirituality and meditation and, and he decided to detransition when I asked him, you know, well, why? He said, God doesn't make mistakes. And the very sad story is that his mother had lost a, a child before he was born and a little girl. And so she had died and then she was pregnant with him and obviously just nev never bonded. So there's, there's many, many reasons why people feel so uncomfortable in their own skin. But that doesn't mean you, you take, you know, dangerous medications. I mean, for girls to take testosterone, you know, their voices will break and that will never return. Um, they can develop um, very serious um, osteoporosis, uh, myocarditis. Um, the, the list is endless uh, of medical problems that can come from these very, very powerful uh, medications, hormones. And, f and for men to take estrogen, you know, there's high percentages now of, of men who've been taking them who are developing breast cancer um, and all kinds of, of, of health problems. I mean, we're not designed to, to do this to our bodies. This is not, this is anti-natural. Sarah Habubi is on the line, thinklocal.ie. We talked about the 2023 conference, which is coming up in a few weeks' time. Um, to find out more about it and to get tickets and to see the programme, go to thinklocal.ie. I love the concept of um, volunteers and local groups in communities um, coming together to implement these ideas, you know, that you'll be discussing at the conference around food, around farming. It's all really... I hate to use this bloody cliche, but it's all very organic looking to me, uh, Sarah. I really like it as an yeah, idea. Yeah, we, we were accused of being, you know, this was going to be a fundraiser, a far-right far right fundraiser. All right. And, uh, you know, the bottom line was we, we only just broke even. So we didn't raise we didn't raise any funds. We're hoping to do a little bit better this time because, you know, we, we want to be able to fund further endeavours, including, you know, um, really develop the website so people can find their local farms and producers um, you know, perhaps an app a little bit later on down the line, but to really to make this a framework for people to take into their communities and then and then use it whatever way they, they want to. Um, and we're actually we're in discussions with the Farmers Alliance, which is growing from strength to strength. Um, and, you know, they're absolutely right. This isn't about rural Ireland. This is about food across the nation and food security to have good food and to, and to know that you have access to food. Uh, because the way they're going, you know, more and more uh, farmers are, they're being priced out. They can't afford to produce food. Uh, they can't afford to produce their food, obviously, with the whole thing with, um, you know, fertilizer. But there, there are lots and lots of solutions out there. And what we loved at the, the February conference was uh, farmers were the winners, actually. <laughs> of all the speakers, yeah. it was the farmers who really won people over because they're already living the solution. They're not talking about it. They're doing it. And they can show us and they can show the way. I love this. I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live yesterday morning for my sins and a Welsh farmer who is a bigwig in the National Farmers Union of Wales. But he's also a Conservative Party councillor. Boo. But he's a farmer, right? So he rang up and he told a few home truths to the presenter, which the presenter didn't like. He said, I'll tell you why one of the reasons we're having serious food problems here, he said. And he mentioned rewilding. He said, we've got fertile land here and they want to take 10% away and give 10% for rewilding and they want to take another 10% and use it for natural habitat. He said, it's insane in a time when we have a food shortage and we're depending on food coming in from, from overseas. It really is this agenda. You said it's um, wicked. Th there is something almost, I don't know, you can touch it sometimes, I can feel it in the air, 
evil about it. I mean, these are evil things. Let's you just not, about smell yeah. the sulphur, can't you? Yeah, Richie? yeah. That's exactly it. Well said. You think, what what clown? And, and I love the way you phrased it earlier on, that realisation that this is not just a bunch of idiots making decisions because they're not qualified and because they're pretty harmless. They're just idiots. No, 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 it's not that. This is manifestly evil stuff, you know. It really is. But there's light, there's light out there. But they're not hiding it. This is the thing. When no. people say this is conspiracy. Um, you know, what I loved about my uh, interview with Sandy Adams, which did go on for quite some time. It was a lot longer than I expected, but she's so amazing and she's got so much information. She's read all of the documents yeah, she that have has, been produced yeah. by the UN, by the World Economic Forum. And, you know, she has the receipts. She can show us you know exactly where this is coming from and all the, i mean i was looking online just before i came on at, at, if you type in agenda 2030 and you go to the un website i mean there are pages and pages and pages and they've used language very cleverly and i think that's why i love nlp because if anyone studied nlp that the whole point is that language is what it's not described doesn't describe our world it creates our world yeah. And they've, they've been manipulating language. They've been using words. And that's, that comes back to the whole name calling. You know, they didn't, the opposition didn't come up with those terms. They were fed those terms. They knew what would, what would initially, you know, really make people afraid. You know, that, that, that chill, the, the chilling effect. You know, oh, I'm going to be called a conspiracy theorist. Well, now I wear my tinfoil hat with pride. Yeah. Um, you know, you're far right. I go, well, no, I'm just right so far. Um, and you just have to, to, you know, you have to make a joke about it. You have to just take the, the sting out of these names because they are deliberately being used. And we just, we can't fall for it. Because uh, if we do, we just we just let them win every single time. Tell me before, because I've got so many comments to read out. I'm not cutting you short now, but we've said, we've said quite a bit. We've talked about the conference. Sarah is on Twitter, at Sarah Habubi, H-A-B-O-U-B-I-1. Sarah Habubi 1, right? You'll find more about the conference in July, thinklocal.ie. You'll find links to the videos from the previous conference. Uh, check it out, folks. Give it a go. You've got nothing to lose. Um, Sarah, it's great to have you. I know I've got loads of um, comments that I I want to read out. But um, I love the optimism. There's great optimism there. You're convinced that that we can navigate this period of human history and come out the other side, maybe a bit scruffy, maybe a bit grubby, but we'll come out the other side. Humanity will prevail. We we will. We will. Uh, The human spirit is uh, indefatigable. And you to just all you have to do is just just tune in, just go inside yourself and just feel that spirit. You know, people who are listening to this show, you know, they're they're not listening to it because it's, you know, it's mindless. They're listening to it because it touches them in some way. Um, so I'm very honoured to be here and to be able to speak to so many people. And I I hope that what I'm saying um, helps them. But it's not to give false hope, but it's just to to dig deep because we are all going to have to dig very very deep and be prepared for it. Let's just. Let's just, it's a, let's see it as a game. Life is a game. You know, let's play it. Come on, let's win. Well said, Sarah. Great to have you back on the programme. Thinklocal.ie, uh, dear listener. For more about Sarah, she's on Twitter too. Sarah Habubi, there's only one. Sarah, until next time, Godspeed to you. Well done. Thank you. Richie, thank you so much. 
You're very welcome. And Sarah did mention Sandy Adams, who's been on this programme, of course, in the past, and her knowledge of the unfolding Agenda 2030. And I'll endorse what Sarah said there. Sandy Adams, Mark Windows, who used to do or present talks at one time with uh, Sandy in Glastonbury and around London and elsewhere, windowsontheworld.net, if you want to see this stuff kind of laid out in front of you in a way that is decipherable and understandable and and that you can show to people, look, this is not a joke, like this stuff is actually going on. Let me go to the website. Wayne says, statistics have come out recently showing that people are taking even more psychiatric drugs after gender reassignment than before. It seems to show, if it is true, that is, says Wayne, that having these operations is not making these people any happier. And he says he can't for the moment find the link. Thanks, Wayne, I don't doubt you. Uh, at all, but I want to go back and mention Diane. I don't know if Diane has listened today, if she's m- left a comment on there, and I do mean it that I want to get Diane back on the program. I've got to dig out the email address for you, Diane, and we'll arrange it because it's very prescient, of course. And um, Patrick says Sarah is an inspiring individual. NLP sounds very interesting. I've also realised that living in one's own body, loving oneself, and connecting with God or the source or God slash source inside and the smart body is a good way forward at least from for me says Patrick who goes on to say that he believes the earth is now benefiting from new energies which will help to promote an evolving humanity and that is significant for me says Patrick thank you for your uh, for your comment and Claire I'm sorry I didn't see this um Claire says has Sarah heard of the Carey's project in Pembrokeshire I hope I've pronounced that right Claire It's a cooperative organic community run by a 72-year-old fifth-generation farmer who attends London protests in his tractor all the way down the M4. I'm sure I read something about that, Claire, on social media at some stage or another. I'll look it up again later on. Uh, Donald says, thanks to the guests this evening. Elizabeth says the same. Thank you, Elizabeth. Busy asks, which killed more, the lockdown, the vaccine or the virus? What a question. Well, the virus will be number three, won't it? Which killed more, the lockdown or the vaccine? We know what the lockdown has done. Very close to home. Very close to home. A very, very good friend of mine lost somebody very, very important because the very important person who passed away was repeatedly refused a certain scan that if they had the scan, and this is on the record, by the way, there may very well be, and I think there are very me- I think there will be uh, a lawsuit, if you want to call it a lawsuit. There will be a case, a civil case, against the NHS and against a, a doctor. Denied. No, 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 we can't do that. No, no. Can't get you in. No, no, it's all COVID. Social distancing. Um, waiting lists and whatnot, and in the end they conceded when this person passed away they conceded by their own words that if they'd gotten to the person sooner the person would still be alive today how many more people how many more how many more people how many in this country alone would be alive now if they had been seen when they had said listen I've got a pain I've got a pain. It's not great. I don't know why I've got this pain in my side. I'm struggling to breathe. I've got these issues with breathing. What's going on? How many of those people would be walking the earth today if they had gotten the treatment they needed? I don't know. And it's foolish to speculate, but it's got to be thousands. 
I don't believe the virus killed thousands in the UK. They will tell you that it killed over 200,000. That's monumental bollocks. It's outrageous bollocks. But by their own admission, it's bollocks. How did you determine if somebody died of COVID? Well, we gave them the COVID on the death certificate if they died within 28 days of testing positive. And I know I've said this too many times, but it has to be repeated. So, you mean that if I fell out of a ladder because I'm a stupid dickhead and I should have gotten a professional to paint my ceiling, if I fell out of a ladder and broke my neck in 17 places and died on the spot, but three weeks earlier I tested positive for COVID because I was stupid enough to take a test, even though I never sneezed from that day on, I would be counted in the statistics. Yes, you would be counted in the statistics as a COVID death. Got knocked down by a bus, did you? Alan Bradley on the tram in Blackpool. Got knocked down, but you had a positive COVID test. You were counted. I don't believe 200,000 people died of COVID. I don't believe 20,000 people died of COVID. And there are people listening to this programme tonight who will be shaking their fist at their listening device saying, you baldy bastard, COVID doesn't exist. Listen, have at it. Your opinion is no less valid than mine. On the migration issue, Diane, who I mentioned already, Diane says, why are they all male, Richie, and why are they men of military service age? It's only a dot joiner. Immigrants have been seen in Mies with automatic rifles. The pictures are on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, so I can't give you a link, says Diane. Yes, and listeners have been on to me to say, you're naive, Richie, if you think it's ridiculous that these migrants will be used to fight the Irish people at a time when the Irish people rise up. I might be naive. It's just my opinion. Opinions are like backsides. Everybody's got one. Jenny says, how can they claim that this new hate speech law in Ireland doesn't affect freedom of speech when it so clearly does, says Jenny. As I've said before, she says, it's the criminalising of opinion. Colin agrees. Bill says it's not just Ireland. Governments of all nations now are mere puppets doing what they are told to do. And that's true as well. Backbeat says Ben Gilroy illustrates the real issue perfectly. They are well on the way to actually banning any form of discourse, let alone discord. Thank you very much for that, uh, Backbeat. That's nearly it then for uh, Wednesday's Richie Allen radio programme. There is a chapel. It's not a chapel of love. It is a chapel of our Lord. It's near It's near the precinct. It's a Catholic church near the precinct in Salford. I might just mosey on down there and say a little prayer like Aretha Franklin. I've not said a little prayer for a long time. That Real Madrid beat the city of Manchester in the Champions League. I can't bear the possibility. I can't bear thinking about the reality of Man City winning the the treble, something which has only been done, of course, by the great Manchester of United or the United of Manchester. So um, I, I might do that. I might go and say it. But I don't think God, though, would have much time for a big baldy gammon praying for a football match outcome. I don't think God would be best pleased if God exists. There's better things to be praying for, boy, God would say with a, an outrageous Irish accent. Indeed. Louis says, I'm listening in West Horton. I'm sure you had a similar guest, Richie. 
doing a similar project in the Peak District. That's Louis. We spoke to uh, Rachel Elnor, who is um, remembered, of course, for being one of the original dragons on Dragon's Den and what Rachel is doing in the Peak District there. She's uh, met a lot of opposition to that, as Rachel, of course, you might be aware of that. Now, I will... Um, what have I got coming up for you? Tomorrow? Oh, yeah, um, let me just double down on that. Just to, Yes, Christy Laura Grace will be on the programme tomorrow. Remember Christy, the scientist, a fascinating woman. She's back on the programme tomorrow, Thursday, uh, for an update. So that's going to be a very interesting programme. I uh, would uh, recommend you don't miss that if you don't. Uh, um, sorry, if you care to, to listen to that, do listen to that tomorrow. Um, this program now has its own app. Are you aware of that? I, I, I should have had a, a jingle made, but I've had so much to do. I've had an awful lot to do lately, really. And I've not been well lately, to be honest. But uh, don't feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm soldiering on. But we're setting the studio up for filming. And we're not doing a Mickey Mouse job, but we're doing it properly. Proper cameras, proper lighting, proper software. So um, next week at some stage, this will be in vision. If you, if you feel like watching it, you can watch it in vision. So that's going on as well. So there's, there's, there's lots going on, so there is. Is what I'm basically telling you. Um, so yeah, right. You and I will do it all again tomorrow at five. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. A million thank yous to Sarah Habubi and to Ben Gilroy. Wasn't it fabulous to catch up with Ben Gilroy again? So Closing out today with the Bellamy Brothers and let your love flow. Look after yourselves and one another. Good evening then.